Good morning, everyone. I want to just uh, encourage you to pray, as Arnold has mentioned, about uh, the search committee. And this is a tough job, uh, being on that committee. Um, I've been on one up in Indiana searching for my replacement, and that's tough. It really is. So at any rate, you guys keep them uh, up, held up in your prayers. And like Arnold said, this is a time for us as a church to come together, to be in unity, and even though we all have differing opinions about what the church should be like or where the, uh, what pastor should be, I just pray that whenever decisions are made and brought before you that you would draw together in unity and uh, work together. I really would love to see that happen. I want to look at our prayer list we had. Uh, those of you that may not know, um, we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night here at the church, and this prayer list is mailed out during the week just so that everyone will have it. So I'm sure all, most all of you have seen this on email. I'm not going to read the names or the needs. I'm just going to mention the problems for just a moment, give you an idea. The one here with uh, uh, prostate cancer, one with uh, um, another kind of cancer. There's another one with a prostate cancer, one with heart leak, uh, valves leaking and kidney problems, another cancer, one with a tumor, one that uh, is in the process of taking cancer treatments. Here's another one with cancer, and one with heart failure, and one with diabetes. And the list goes on and on. And you kind of get the idea that uh, people are sick. And as you look down through that list, you're going to find that most of these people that are on the list that have these uh, serious problems are up in age. Now, since I am up in age, I can talk about this without making those that are up in age feel bad. But, you know... Uh, I are an elderly person. I have had to come to realize that. And with retirement, you know, staring me in the face, I've got all kinds of uh, concerns and fears and so forth myself. I look at our generation and I see us getting uh, sick and uh, dying early, some of us. And uh, I know some of you have lost loved ones. And at a time like this, whenever we look at our lives and we look at the problems that we're having and so forth, it... I've noticed, and, and it's not true widespread, but there have been occasions where we begin to question the fact of our relationship with the Lord and our, God's love for us and his grace because we look at our lives not being as active as they once were and not being able to do the things that we used to do, and that's true of all of us. We begin to wonder about God's grace because, you see, when you, whenever you're young in the Lord, early on in your Christian faith and you're just learning, it's like... Grace is just being poured out on you and you're just bathing in it, so to speak. But then as we get older, something happens and we begin to question because we're not as active, don't seem to be as uh, involved, although we are just in different ways. Um, we begin to wonder, the grace of God run out for us? You know, we look at ourselves and we look at our ailments and we look at our problems and we look at the things that are going on in our lives and we begin to experience some doubts and some fears and some concerns about God's grace in our relationship and so forth. Now today what I want to do is this, and I'll tell you up front, I, I've had a little trouble putting this together because it seems a little bit dis, uh, disconnected, if you will. Um, there are some things I want to say because this is our last sermon in the series on grace. And so I want to try to pull some things together 
and uh, deal with an, an area of life, a time of life that uh, we haven't dealt with a lot here in this series on grace, and that is when we come now to the end of our lives, or at least the end is in view. And for some of us, that's probably the way to say it, the end is in view at some point. But I want you to see, and as I go through this today, I want you to understand that the grace of God is still working in your life. In other words, it is being poured out all over you, and you may not recognize it. You may not see it. And um, there will, you know, the grace of God will be there to carry you home, to prepare you for it, and to take you there. And I've entitled the sermon, Grace Till the End and Then Some, because I want you to see that not only is God preparing us for this time in our lives, this stage of our lives, but the grace of God uh, will be poured out all over you, not only now, but in the future. And God hasn't forgotten. And that's what I want to get across today. Now, I want to do it in this way. Because I want to talk to you on three th- about three things. Because we're asking ourselves as we go into the sermon. Grace till the end and then some. Okay, what are you trying to tell me? How do I see grace at this stage of life? How do I see grace afterwards? In other words, if after I die, whoever thinks about grace after that. I mean, you're there. But I want you to understand that God is pouring out grace now and yet to come. Here's the first thing that I want to share with you. And again, these points are kind of disconnected, but they're just thoughts I want to, I want to share with you, okay? When is God going to, or how does God pour out his grace on me during this time in my life? Here's number one. When it's needed, God gives his children dying grace. Dying grace. Now, that may be a term you've never heard before, and I want to explain what I'm talking about here. When I was back in Bible college, and this would have been probably around 1977, somewhere in there, uh, 43 years ago, and I've never forgotten this, I had a professor there at the Bible college. He had been a minister for some 30 years. He was retired, and he was teaching at the Bible college. And he told us this story, and I don't even remember the lesson we were on or what we were talking about, but I've never forgotten this. He said there was a man that came into his office one day, and the man had been given a diagnosis. Now, this would have been probably back in the 50s. Um, a diagnosis that he was going to die within a few months. You know, he had some illness, and he just was, the doctor gave him no hope. And he came into the pastor's office, and they prayed together. And he said, Pastor, he said, I just got to tell you, he said, I don't feel like this is true. He said, I don't feel like I'm going to die. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like I, don't, I just don't feel it. And the pastor, this is my professor now, said something that kind of caught my attention. He said, then you're probably not going to die. And the man asked him, he said, well, what do you mean? How can you say that? He said, because you don't have dying grace. And we all, sitting in class, begin to raise our hands and say, okay, you're going to have to explain this one. And so he explained it. He said, I cannot show you in Scripture where it teaches this. He said, but I can only tell you that I have observed it time after time after time in my years of ministry. And he said it is a, a, a time when God pours out, if you will, on a person just an abundance of grace and assurance and confidence that their time is near. In other words, it's a calm, reassuring peace that floods over the believer when the end is near, and it enables them to let go. He said, I've seen it in the lives of people all the time 
that when their death is impending, he said somehow God seems to just give them a confidence and assurance that that is going to be the case. And that when that is given, he also gives them the grace to go through it. He said this like an assurance or a calmness or a conviction that this is, this is right. And he said, I can't explain it, but I've seen it time and time again. How many of you remember Dr. Murphy, C.H. Murphy, when he was here at the church? This was years ago. When I first came here, Dr. Murphy came and uh, he and his wife, Anita, joined the church about the same time that we came and he, had been, he was a retired minister from over in the Dallas area, and he taught some classes here and led some groups and things like that. Just a great couple. They had just built a home out in Safari Waters. This was their retirement home, and it was a great, a very nice home when they were living there. And I guess they'd been in the home just a couple of years. And he comes to Deborah one time and calls her up. He says, I want to list my home and sell it. He said, and we're going to move back to West Texas. And Deb said, well, why are you leaving? And he said, I just feel like my time is short. He said, and I don't want Anita to be stuck over here. I want her to be back over where her family is. And so he sold his home. And he, Deborah, I can never, I'll never forget this. Deb said, I don't. She said, he is in such a hurry. It is like a burden for him. He's got to move. And he did move, and it wasn't a short, I don't know, maybe a year later, I don't know the timeline, but it wasn't that long. We got word that he passed away. Now, he had had some issues, for sure, but he knew that. He knew that his time was short. Now, just a couple of years earlier, he came down here, built a dream home. You know, he's going to retire and fish. We went fishing a time or two, and we were just going, to have a, just going to have a great time. But all of a sudden, God began to work on him. And God began to say to him, your time is short. You need to get ready. And he did. Now, you can tell I'm emotional. I'm not dying, okay? I'm just going to, this is, uh, I'm going to try to get through this, all righty? It's going to be hard. Five years ago, a friend of mine, he, uh, when we came to the Dallas area, we moved to Duncanville back in 1981, and Dennis and Phyllis and their family lived down the street. Dennis and I, we all went to the same church together. We got to know each other. Our kids were the same age. We had dinner at their house. They had dinner at our house. Dennis and I would be out all night fishing on Lake Grapevine and other lakes, catching crappie, and we didn't catch them. We just sat there, you know, till we hours of the morning. But we had a good time. Dennis was very involved in the ministry at the church. He, uh, you know, I was, had come on staff there and at that time was working in the area of adult ministries and he was a small group leader and a Sunday school teacher and did things like that. We spent a great deal of time talking. We went on conferences together, things like that. One day I get a phone call, um, about five years ago. I get a phone call from Dennis. And it's an odd phone call. I haven't talked to Dennis in a, in a long time, but yet he, gave me, he, he called me here at the office. And he just wanted to thank me for some things. 
And I thought to myself, this is just strange. This is weird. And I go home and I tell Deb, I said, look, a dentist called today. And I said, and she said, well, what did he say? And I said, well, I think he's dying. I said, he never said that, but that was what the impression that I got. It was like his dying statement to me or something. Well, a few days later, I get this letter. Now, this is what I'm going to read, and we'll try to get through it, okay? Now, in the letter, he's thanking me. That's not what I want you to hear. What I want you to hear is to try to put yourself in his position. Tell me what he's thinking, okay? That's what I want you to see. He says, due to the decreasing mental acuity, I guess I'm not as quick as to find answers to questions at at times. So I hope this helps spell out what I failed to say. Now, this is talking about his phone call. I guess he felt he didn't say it correctly. I am copying from handwritten notes to remember what I was unable to say yesterday. Please know that this is not a whim. It is for multiple nights of recalling my Christian walk. Those who were instrumental in the events that helped shape and mold my faith. Forgive me when I get redundant. I am unable to nail down one specific event or time that your influence had a specific effect on me. I believe that over a period of our relationship, friendship, and shared experiences, that you left an indelible mark on my life. I shared about where our children are spiritually. Your influence on me indirectly affected their lives. Phyllis and I always remember the fellowship we had with you and Deborah. Because of of the God we serve, there cannot result less than a mutual sharing of values, love, and spiritual oneness. Okay. Yeah, really. Over at least a third of my 71 years the seemingly brief time that we were blessed with your presence added to intensifying who we are in Christ. Quantifying that completely is next to impossible. It is great to be old in Christ. It is amazing to have been chiseled out by God's grace through brothers and sisters in Christ, their prayers, fellowship, and their example. I have now and have had other similar relationships, but yours has left a God-lasting remembrance. I have been a believer for years before meeting you. Had been involved in ministry and been on the mission field. The mark you left was and is distinctly set apart. I now send my I now need my gray matter shaken to rejoice or or jolted to recall even what I'm cooking for dinner. So I probably needed to write this in the first place and not have bothered you. Maybe we can fish again before I can't any longer. This may better flesh out what what I needed to say. Just be encouraged. So about six months later, he dies. Deborah and I go to the uh, the funeral. So we're in uh, Ovilla at his church. And his wife, Phyllis, comes up to me. And she said, you know that letter 
That was his goodbye letter. See, you know, now the question, see, the question is how did he know? How did he know? That's a dying grace. When God cares about you so much that he prepares you for the time that is coming. You can't explain it. You can't describe it to anybody. How do you explain to somebody that you feel in your heart that your time is short? There have been people that uh, you say, well, what about somebody that has a, is in a car wreck or something like that? I've had experiences where after they've died and I'll do the service for them, I'll have loved ones that come up and you say, they told me a month ago that they felt like their time was short. I believe that God prepares us. I believe that he gets us ready. And and when he does, we start letting go of things. We start making preparations. We start feeling as though, hey, I've got to uh, to wrap things up because I can't explain it to anybody, but I know my time is short. My friend, that's what dying grace is. And that's how God, in one way at least, pours out grace on you and me during this time in our lives. Now, you have to forgive me. I, I'm not a good crier. I think there's a song, Nobody Cries Pretty. Yeah, well, I don't. Okay, so just, just bear with me here. I think most of it's past now. Now, we look at this and we think to ourselves, well, that all sounds very morbid. All of this talk about dying. Joan says, no, it doesn't. Thank you, Joan. But uh, sometimes we do. Even as Christians, we look at death and we say, I don't want to talk about that, you know, because that's so morbid. It reminds me of hurt and grief and heartache, and yes, it does. But I want, to listen, I want you to listen to this verse. I've, I've given it to you many times before. It's in Psalms 116, verse 15. It says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his servants. Now, guys, how can that be precious? And if it is precious to him, why is it so morbid and repulsive to me? I think we need to start seeing life and death through the eyes of God. And that there are times in our lives where we are going, well, there's a time in your life where you will always face death. But there are times when sometimes the voice inside of us is so clear and distinct, telling us that, you know what, your time is near. And I'm getting you ready for that. And we think to ourselves that death is something to be avoided. It's a horrible thing. But in the eyes of God, it is a blessing. And in the eyes of God, God is bringing you home to celebrate all that he died for on your behalf to start with. And guys, um, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it will be like? I don't know. What would be the first thing you would do when you step into heaven? You know, who are you going to want to see? What are you going to say? You may spend months in our time just looking, just looking. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like. I just only know glimpses of it from what the Scriptures tell us. But I do know this, that I believe with all my heart that when it comes to the end of your life, God doesn't forsake you. God prepares you. You see, God gets you ready. And that's the dying grace that I'm talking about. Don't ask me for scripture on it. I can't find any. If you've come up with something, you let me know. But here's another point I want to make on this. And moving from the dying grace, 
How does God pour out grace on you and me during that time of life when we come to the end? And here's point number two, and that is this, the promise of the resurrection. I want you to understand the promise of the resurrection. I'm not talking about Jesus' resurrection. I'm talking about yours. And this is something that we don't often talk about um, much as Christians because we talk about going to heaven, and that seems to be the end. You know, we talk about you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're going to go to heaven, and that seems to be it. You know, that's the culmination of everything. But not for God and not in Scripture, because when you look at the Scriptures, what you find is most of the people that were living in Bible times were looking forward to the resurrection. See, that was their promise. That's what they uh, talked about most of the time. Now, you think to yourself, well, that doesn't mean a lot. You know, I just, just think about going to heaven. The resurrection, I don't even understand. When does that happen? Well, it happens at the rapture. The Bible tells us that one day the Lord is going to call us home. If we're here on earth, the graves are going to be open. Your spirit and your body are reunited and that you are raised again. And that the body that is raised is not the one that went into the grave. It is different. It is transformed. It is eternal. It's just like the the body of Christ when he came out of the grave. Now, that may not mean a lot to you as far as thinking about that and that being an encouragement to you. But when you get past the age of 60 and things start falling off or wrinkling or getting cut away, when, you know what, your hair turns gray and you're sagging where you didn't used to sag and you can't hardly get around, you can't hardly breathe anymore, and all of these things, you bet the resurrection matters then the Bible tells us that when we leave this world and we die, that our spirit goes to be with the Lord, to be absent from the body, the Bible says, to be present with the Lord. But God doesn't leave it at that. God says, I'm coming back and you're coming with me, your spirit, and you will be resurrected in that time. Now, guys, just think about this, because when you are up around our age and struggling with your mortality, you start thinking about, a new body. A new body. Oh. Now you're talking, Dave. Okay, a new body. Let me show you in Scripture, okay? Let me show you something. I want to turn, I want to look, show you these verses that we often use at Easter, but it's in 1 Corinthians 15. In verses 35 and 36, and here's what, now Paul is in the middle of this discussion about the resurrection, and, he, and he's kind of, we're kind of breaking into the middle of a sentence here. He says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, in the context, here's what he does. Okay, I'm not going to go into all of it, but I'm just going to tell you. He likens death and resurrection to planting a seed. He said the seed is dead. It's dried up. It's withered. If you ever, ever planted a seed, you know this day it's dried up. There's nothing going to become of it until you plant it in the ground and it receives the moisture and then it grows. He's, what he's saying is this. He said, how can you possibly think you're going to have a resurrection without dying? You've got to die first. And you've got to understand what's behind this because Paul's trying to get you to see death is a blessing. See, death is a blessing. Because it, you, you leave this broken body, you leave this corrupt world, and you go home. 
And then God says, now here's what I want you to look forward to while you're here in this old body and it's getting older and pain, more painful. I'm going to give you a new one one day. I'm going to come back. We're going to raise your body up. We're going to find all of the molecules that went into it. But I'm going to change it. And here's what he says. Now listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 44. Here's what he says. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Now let me explain it. The body that goes into the ground decays. It rots. He said, but when it comes out of the ground, it's going to be a body that will never decay or rot again. Imperishable. He goes on to say in the next verse, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. In other words, it dies, you put it in the grave, and let's face it, folks, it's ugly. You know, I go to funerals and look at the person in the casket, and we always say they really look good. Compared to what? A dead person. And, you know, we say that, but we don't mean it because that's ugly. And he says when it is sown, it is in dishonor. I've had women pass by a casket, and they'll say something. She would roll over in her grave if she saw that makeup they put on her. Dishonor. But he says when it's raised, it's going to be glorious. Oh my gosh, think about the perfect you. Perfect you. The one you dream about, you know. If I could only change that about me. When God says when I bring it out of the grave, it's going to be glorious. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's broken, cancer-ridden, decayed in weakness. You know as well as I do, by the time some of us get to the grave, we'll barely be able to get around. But God says, when I raise it up, it's going to be in power. And it will be powerful. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It goes into the ground as flesh, and it comes out something different. The body like Christ. You're going to be able to look at your loved ones. You're going to see them and you're going to know them and recognize them. And Jesus didn't look a whole lot different than he did before. It was just a spiritual body. And then we wonder to ourselves, you know, we get old, we're hurting and we're painful and we're facing death. And where's the grace of God? Where's the grace of God? I mean, I saw the grace of God when I was 30 and was able to teach Sunday school and working hard in the church, and God was just pouring out blessings on me left and right. Where's the grace of God and the blessings of God now? Where is it? Well, just look around you. Because God's getting you ready for the next phase of life, and that's all death is, is the next phase of life. And when you pass into that, he says, this is what you can expect. You're going to come home and be with me, which is a glorious time, But I'm not going to forget that body that I created, and I'm going to go back and get it, and I'm going to change you into something, the perfect you. It's going to be glorious. He said, that's grace, and I'm pouring it out all over you. Now, here's the third way in which grace is shown to us as we come to this time of life. And it's true of all of us, but especially I want you to understand this as you come to this point in your life, okay? And that is that God gives us the promise of rewards. The promise of rewards. Now, there's another subject we don't talk a lot about in Christians, as Christians, because, again, we're so content to get to heaven that we don't think beyond that. 
And what I'm trying to get you to see is God pours out grace on you now at the time of death and beyond. And he's going to resurrect you in later time. And at some point, he's going to reward you. Listen to this verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8. He says, Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, that's in the middle of a conversation again. But he's saying, look, you know that. You know that the Lord is going to reward each one of you for the good that you do, whether you're a slave or a rich person or whoever, it doesn't matter. And God's going to reward you for that. You know, people try to figure this out all the time. What are the rewards going to be? We're, we're really never told. And I don't know either. I wish that I knew what those rewards were and that they were very clearly and, and distinctly told to us, but they're not. But here's one thing we are told. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, here's what Paul said. He said, however, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has ever conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. I can't tell you what those rewards are. I can't tell you what heaven's going to be like. But I can tell you this, the grace is being poured out all over you and me. And not only right now as we live this life, but when it comes time for our death, God in his grace is going to be there for us then, and God in his grace is going to be there for us even thereafter. I want to give you an example because I want to encourage you with this idea of rewards that you are indeed serving the Lord now. You know, we're saved by faith. It's a God's gift to us, and, and that's the Scripture. But then God is adding to that in His grace. He's saying that grace goes beyond that too. That not only are you a believer and saved and forgiven, but I will reward you even more when you get there. We don't often go that far in emphasizing it because we, are again, are content to just to get to heaven. I put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, I'm happy. That's great. But grace is still there. And we leave, at least I think, we don't pay attention to, and we're not taking it seriously, the grace that God offers to us in the form of rewards that are going to come later. Now, again, I don't know what it is, but we know from Scripture it's going to be beyond our imagination. But I want to give you some examples of something. I want to just, this will make sense to you in a moment, okay? Back in 1980, the company we know as Apple, we all know Apple computers and so forth, that was 40 years ago, they went public with their stock. And it came out on their opening day at $22 a share. If you had bought one share, now listen to this, one share of Apple stock in 1980, 40 years ago, just put $22 in there and bought a share, it would be worth nearly $15,000 today. That's a lot for $22. What if you had bought a 100 of them? What if you had bought a 1,000 of them? Here's another one. Microsoft came out in 1986 at this public opening, and then it, uh, that was 34 years ago. And what if you had bought $1,000 worth of uh, Microsoft back in 1986? Just $1,000. You scrounge up $1,000 in 1986 to buy some Apple, or I'm sorry, some Microsoft stock. Today you would be worth $1.6 million. Amazon came out in 1987 with this public opening, and their stock opened up 
This was 23 years ago. And again, what would have happened had you had $1,000 to put into it just 23 years ago? So think about this. Where were you at 23 years ago? What were you doing? Were you working? You know, what, were you, what was your, your goals in life? What were you doing? But just 23 years ago, you'd have put that $1,000 into Amazon. You'd be worth $1.3 million today. Just a $1,000 investment. Now, what's the point of this? All right, here's the point. If you had had the foresight to do that, what would you have done to get the money? If I knew and had an inside tip, let's say, that this is going to go up like you cannot believe and it's going to split and this and that, and at the end of 30 years, you're going to be a millionaire. I would have sold my house. I would have sold my car. I would have sold my blood if need be to come up with the money to buy that because I would have known that in the long run it's going to be a whole lot more valuable. You and I look at the scriptures and we talk about rewards and we just sort of brush it off. And God is saying to you that if you have the foresight to invest it now in me, when you get to heaven, it'll be glorious. It'll be beyond your imagination what I will do for you. Again, I don't know what all that means. I don't know what it looks like, but I'll take God at his word. And if you have the foresight to do that, then do it. Because God is going to pour grace out on you beyond measure. And so everything that you invest into the Lord, your time, your money, your efforts, everything, pays off. Big time when you get there. And I think sometimes we don't see that and we don't take it seriously. But this is a true fact. That's grace. It's grace now. It's grace at the time of death. And it's grace even after we're long gone. God's still pouring grace on us. We've been looking at this series on grace And I have taken you from before the cross all the way to the end, and we've seen nothing but the grace of God. And what he has done for us, what he's done in us, how he has blessed us. And I'm telling you today, as we bring this to the close, that grace never ends, regardless of your life situation or the age that you reach. It never ends. That's what makes it grace. The whole idea of grace is that it's not earned, that it's given that is bestowed on you because he loves you. And we grapple with that and we don't understand why, but yet the Bible tells us that he does. God has not forsaken you in your old age and he is still pouring grace out on you. And he will give you grace to face death when it comes. We've looked at ideas on that. And you you yourself probably know somebody that God has given the dying grace to. God is going to give you hope even now and later on, that the body, even though it is decaying, it'll be resurrected. It'll be resurrected. That's grace. He didn't have to do that. God could have just saved us, put us in heaven, and let the body lay in the grave, and we'd have been fine. But God said, no, that's not good enough. Because I want to raise you. And I want to transform you into something that's glorious. And God blesses us even after we're gone. 
when we get to heaven, God's still pouring out grace on us because we're rewarded for what we've done back here. The good, the Bible says, that we've done in this life. Guys, take it to heart, okay? The Bible in Matthew, I think it was Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, don't store up treasure here on this earth. Send it on ahead of you. Store it up there. What does he mean? Well, what I'm doing here in this life, I need to be, I need to be serious about my walk with the Lord and about my involvement in the ministries and about serving and loving people and all of these things that I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian because the good that I do here, in grace, God blesses me beyond measure when I get there. And let's not take that for granted. Let's not be content just to get to heaven. As good as it is, I want all of the grace that God has for me. I really do. I want it all. And I think that you should too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we are again, we are brought to remembrance, Father, again, of the grace of God. Father, I pray for each one of us that as we reach this time in life where we, at whatever age, are faced with our own mortality, that, Father, we would relax, that we would allow you to take us through this. Just like David prayed in the Psalms, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. And, Father, I pray that in your grace you would take us home and in your grace you would raise us again and in your grace you would bless us beyond measure. And Father, we will stand before you someday and we will praise you in our glorious redeemed bodies. Father, help us to trust you with every fiber of our being, to relax and to let you be God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.